Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're walking through 1 and 2 Samuel. And I want to tell you, if you're, um, if you're, if you've been out the last couple of weeks, I know we had a lot of people visiting. I mean, a lot of people traveling, and maybe you're visiting with us as well. And uh, you're kind of right in the middle of this thing. We're in chapter four. We're going to cover chapter four through chapter seven today. It's one unit, and so I want to encourage you to read, start in chapter one and read and catch up. Um, it won't take you long to do that. But First Second Samuel is real exciting. Fish. If you have children, read it to your children or your grandchildren because it's great books. A lot of adventure, a lot of neat things going on here. And we're in chapter 4. And Samuel is born to Elkanah and Hannah. And Hannah brings the weaned boy to Eli where he is growing in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. He's in Shiloh. Samuel is a Nazarite, but he's also a prophet of God. He's there living with Eli in Shiloh at the temple, serving there. And there's a famine in the land of the word of God. There's been no prophet to speak until the Lord called Samuel. And as um, he began to speak God's words, we recognize early on they're not always pleasant words. And so he prophesied to Eli that his two sons would be judged and this family that is represented God and served in the temple for generations, they will serve no longer. That was a difficult message for Samuel to deliver to Eli. But he delivered it, and the famine of the word comes to an end as this era of the prophets began in Israel. And I just want to piggyback on last week's message. Aren't you glad that we have access to the word of God? There's places all over the world where that's not the case. There's no Bible written in their language. Some people's they, their language isn't even written down. And so we are blessed to have the Word of God. We studied Wednesday night, Ephesians chapter 3, our adult study. And our student study, we're studying um, on Wednesday night what it means to be a, a, a biblical man and a biblical woman. And we've studied the, the Word of God this morning in our small group. I'm, I'm so glad we have His inerrant, infallible Word to read and to study. And my question for you as we begin is, did you study? Did you read and did you study this week? You have access to this wonderful will of God in written form. Did you study the Word of God this week? Well, if you remember, as we said in our overview, chapters 1 through 8 is about focuses on Samuel. Chapters 9 through 31 focuses on Saul. So we're still in the Samuel portion of this book. And three things I want to point out to you before we take the Lord's Supper. And the first is this, is defeat is sure without the Lord. Defeat is guaranteed without the Lord. In chapter 4, Samuel, if you notice, starting in verse 2, Samuel is silent. So the Lord is silent. From chapter 4, verse 2, to chapter 7, verse 2, God is silent, but he's not idle. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. 
Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up the line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Now Israel is defeated, and what do the Israelites do? They're whipped. 4,000 of their soldiers have been slain in battle. And so they ask the question, why? And that's a good question. You know why it's a good question? Because the Israelites, think about their history. They're in Egypt. And they were able to leave Pharaoh's grasp and leave slavery in Egypt. And they were able to pass through the Red Sea to freedom. How were they able to do that? Because God was with them. They get to the promised land and they march around Jericho every day for seven days. And on that seventh day, as the trumpets blew, those walls came crumbling down and they defeated the city of Jericho. How did that happen? Because God was with them. You get the, the program, get the picture, don't you? They defeated the five Amorite kings in Joshua chapter 10. As you remember the story, the sun stood still. So they would have time to, to win the battle before sundown. How did they get the victory? God was with them. And you can read all the victories by Moses before the promised land in Joshua chapter 12. And also, Joshua, his many victories once they crossed the Jordan in the promised land. Joshua chapter 12, verse 24 tells that Joshua, leading the Israelites, defeated 31 kings in all. Victory after victory after victory. But now they're defeated and 4,000 warriors are dead. Why? Because the Lord wasn't with them. And so what do they do? They had what we call a, a, a rabbit's foot theology. They had this, this idea that, hey, were defeated by the Philistines, the mighty Philistines who have been oppressing them for years. They've been defeated and think, well, you know, we'll take the Ark of the, of the Covenant and we'll take it into battle. And their thought was, it's kind of like they're going to twist the arm of God and they're going to provoke the Lord. They, they presumed that the Lord, because if they had the Ark of the Covenant, that God was going to assure them victory. This is the first time the Ark has been taken into battle. I mean, the ark was there at Jericho. Moses, when he fought the Midianites, he took the ark. It seems that Saul and David both took the ark into battle at different times. So what's the problem here? The problem is they were trusting in the ark of God, not in the God of the ark. They presumed the Lord was going to give them victory. The battle was fought in verse 10, and 30,000 soldiers died. The second defeat with the ark was greater than the one without it. So 34 soldiers down, they're asking the question, why? Why is this happening? Because the Lord wasn't with Israel. And it's interesting, you think about the Abrahamic covenant, God made a covenant with Abraham. And what was the covenant? Do you remember the promises he gave Abraham? The children know all these things. We were doing Bible drill. But, but God gave them several promises. One that that uh, he would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. And I always, always have the kids look at the popcorn on the ceiling. That's kind of like all these descendants. And he promised them that they would have land. And he promised them that um, through him, all the nations of the world be blessed. But there's another promise. The, four, the fourth promise is that 
those that bless you, I'll bless. And those that curse you, I'll curse. And really what that promise means, I think, is that God's saying, I've got your back. I'm going to take care of you. You trust me, I'll take care of you. But all of a sudden, the Israelites are, find themselves down 34,000 soldiers to the Philistines. So an Israelite, what happens, an Israelite brings news in verse 12 through 18. An Israelite, from the battlefield, they run to Shiloh, bringing news of the battle that Israel had been defeated, that Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's wicked sons, were both dead. It's interesting to note, when they took the ark, they made sure Hophni and Phinehas was with the ark. Bad idea. Do you remember about Hophni and Phinehas? They were wicked, pagan, self-absorbed priests. This messenger brings the news that Hophni and Phinehas were dead. He tells Eli, and Eli hears that message. Then he tells him that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. It's too much for Eli. Eli fell over. He breaks his neck, and he died, thus fulfilling the prophecies of chapter 2 and chapter 3 that we already spoke about. Verse 19 through 22, Eli's daughter-in-law heard the news. She goes into labor and bears a son. Let's look at verse 19 through 22 really quickly. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have born a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel. The ark of God has been captured. Now, the glory of God had indeed departed, but not because the ark of God had been captured. The ark had been captured because the glory had departed. See, in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord means the presence of God. And God's presence had departed from Israel, and 34,000 soldiers had died at the hands of the Philistines. And what's interesting, if you read this story and you carry it out all the way to the end of chapter 6, Samuel's nowhere to be found. God was definitely not with his people. And without the presence of the Lord, defeat is sure. And I just ask you a real quick question. Can you say that, that the Lord is with you? You say, well, of course, God is omnipresent. And that's true. It's a true statement. But can you say God is with me? God is for me. And I can trust him because he's faithful and good to me. Is he leading you? Is he guiding you? Second thing I want to, I want to point out to you in chapter 5 is, despite Israel's sin, God shows himself to be mighty. Now, the ark of God is captured. But notice that God in chapter 5 and 6, and I want to encourage you to go back and read this. We don't have time to read the whole story, but go back and read this. But God defends his own honor. It's interesting how he doesn't even need, Blake, he doesn't need the Israelites to defend him. He defends himself. Because of their sin, their presumption, God had departed, left them on their own. The effects were devastating. They were defeated. 34,000 soldiers died. But God isn't wringing his hands trying to figure out what he's going to do. Oh, my goodness. No, he would show himself to be Lord of all. Remember that at this time in redemptive history, these people groups, these tribes, they all had their own gods. Now, for the Philistines, they had their, their main god, their dominant idol was Dagon. And what would happen in battle is when you would defeat a nation, you would take their god and you would take it back and you would just put it in your pantheon of gods. 
And so that's what happened. When the ark was captured, they took, they took the ark and they put it in their, the temple to Dagon. And what happened? Remember the story? Look at chapter 5, verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rode early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. So the first day they come in here, they thought, oh, must be, the wind was blowing. You know, Dagon fell down. And he's prostrate before the ark of God. And so what do they do? They said, hey, what we'll do is we'll prop this, prop this dude back up. So they prop him back up. You know what happened the next day? Dagon is again prostrate before the ark of the covenant, but his head and his hands are broken off. And not only that, but if you continue reading chapter 5, what happens is something really interesting is the people in that city began to develop these tumors. And so if, you, if you're uh, experiencing difficulty, uh, and you, um, what, what do you do? Well, the Philistines, they wanted to share their misery with their neighbors. And so what did they do? They said, we've got to get the ark of, of God out of here. It's too powerful for us. Look what it's doing to us and to Dagon. And so they sent it to Gath, the next city. And the same thing happened in Gath. The people there broke out in tumors. So what did they do? Being the loving, good neighbors they are, they sent it to the next city, to Ekron, and the same thing happened there. And finally, they said, enough's enough. We've got to send, we've got to send this thing back. It's too much for us to handle. It's too much for Dagon to handle. They recognized the power of God of this monotheistic nation, Israel. And so what did they do? They decided to send it back. Look at chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. They said, take the ark of the Lord and place it on a cart and put it in a box at its side, the figures of, at its, at its side, the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. And they, they made idols and put, put with the ark on this cart. And they send it off and they let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not the hand that has struck us. It had happened to us by coincidence. Now what they would do is they took these two milk cows, and they, these milk cows both had calves. Now, Mr. Glenn, what happens if, a, if you take a calf and you take it from its, from its mother? What does, what's that cow going to do? It's going to ball for its baby, and it's going to try to find its calf. Well, they said... If we attach these two cows to this cart and we put the Ark of the Covenant on there with some idols we've made as a guilt offering, we send it back to, to Israel. If those cows, if they go back to Israel with this Ark, we know that this, this God of Israel has done this to us. But if not, if that cow does what's natural to it, and what's it going to do? It's going to turn around and try to find its calf. We'll know this is just coincidence. So they put the cart together and they yoked the, the cows to it, and, and guess what happened? Something very unnatural. Those cows walked straight back to Israel with the Ark of the Covenant. God proved himself to be mighty, upheld his own honor without Israel lifting one finger. Does the Lord need us? Sometimes we think, man, the Lord's got to have us. And without us, what God, what's God going to do? I don't need us. He used us, right? As his representatives, as ambassadors. But you know what? 
One day when Jesus comes back, the Bible says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. The Lord doesn't need us. He alone is more than capable of showing himself to be mighty. Third thing I want us to remember from chapter 7 is that God delights in pouring out grace on repentant sinners. Samuel's been silent from chapter 4 through chapter 6. The Lord is silent. But in chapter 7, verse 3, Samuel comes back on the stage. And notice what he says. Let's read that in chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of God put away the bells and the asterisks, and they serve the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel the prophet, right? Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Look at verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Kind of sounds like the other battles we talked about, wasn't it? And it's really interesting. There's a parallel between chapter 4 and chapter 7. They're going into battle. You got the war crowds going on. The Philistines are afraid. The Israelites are afraid. But Chapter 4 and chapter 7 are really different in, in one aspect, and that is this humility of the Israelites. And we kind of see that in the New Testament teachings, don't we? God says that he opposes the who? Proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yeah. And we, we see that here. Samuel hasn't been on the scene. Even in chapter 4, verse 3, they, they lost 4,000 men. They knew the hand of God was against them, but they didn't repent. They didn't cry out to the Lord. But here in chapter 7, what are they doing? They're crying out to the Lord. We've sinned greatly. Samuel, pray for us. Don't stop praying. Whatever you do, there's no hope for us unless God helps us. God looks for repentant, dependent people to pour out... His grace upon. He did that for Israel. And the result was victory and peace. Look at verse. Look at verse 10. And Samuel was offered up the burnt offering. The Philistines, they drew near to attack. The Lord thundered. And it says they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car. Then Samuel, what did he do? He took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin and he called its name Ebenezer for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. 
the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. The land had been captured was restored. There was peace. God says, I got your back, like he told Abraham. Why? Because they humbled themselves before the Lord. And God, what did he do? He poured out his grace upon Israel. Defeat is sure without the Lord. Is the Lord with you? Can you say the Lord's on your side? Despite Israel's sin, God showed himself to be mighty and God delights in pouring out grace upon repentant sinners. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.